Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings, as much as the buildings themselves. A discussion about child-friendly cities kicked off on Twitter, and as we swapped stories of movements and actions taking place across the UK, at some point, Emma Behrman decided to organize a lunch to bring all of these workers together. We met at a curry house near the train station in Leeds, where people from London, Birmingham and more discuss their work and the child-friendly agenda. Over the clatter of plates, here is our conversation, which provides an amazing overview of the work taking place in the sector as a group of committed professionals seek to transform the life of children in the city. Okay, so what what I thought would be a good starting point and to kind of um, help us with our own networking and introductions is just if you could say who you are and, and what you do and what what you know in your opinion um, how are you working to create a more livable city or what are your concerns around that and what challenges are you facing so really a sh- an open share um, but if you could just um, actually at any point when you say it and instead of like creeping around the table which tends to um, drain enthusiasm. What I what I would really like to do is um, to you know let someone go first. I'll go first actually as the icebreaker, and then um, and then if you know if you want to speak next, just lift your hand and we'll get you we'll get you set up. So um, you know as Emma said, we're coming together today to really talk about child friendliness, about livable cities, about the work that all of you are doing in this area, and it's uh, an impromptu gathering in Leeds organized over Twitter. Um, hugely exciting to meet you all face to face. And um, so to, to kick off, I, my name's Christine Murray. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Developer, which is about um, making places in urban environments. I'm really interested in what are the key ingredients to making a, an inclusive, um, diverse, accessible, uh, friendly place. I think that, um, that no one really has captured uh, every part of that and, and, the, and the value that child friendliness brings to that, which is kind of a growing concern and a a growing field in the UK, um, is super interesting. So that's me. Um, And the challenges that I'm facing is really finding like data and evidence, some of those studies and research, there seems to be a lot that's kind of spread around, um, but not really gathered in one place. So I'm looking for, um, for ideas and evidence and things that I can do to piece together that puzzle. Okay, so who's next? Okay, uh, my name is Mohammed Mohammed Rotfar. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm senior lecturer in urban design at Leeds Beckett University. Uh, my interest in to this subject basically started when I moved to the United Kingdom, 1998, as someone who knows nobody in this country, coming from very different culture, very different background, coming from Iran to you know UK. And then my son was born here as well, and I found my children is a catalyst for me to join the community. So I think that is excellent context, you know, to put into cross-cultural, you know, uh, understanding of different cultures. And uh, I found, you know, taking my, my, my son to playground, talking to other people, this is great, you know, kind of, uh, you know, joining together as, as, as a human rather than, you know, being someone from different culture. Then I started working as a landscape architect and urban designer and designing places and spaces in, you know, different parts of this country, especially in Newcastle and Gateshead area. I found that 
you know, someone like me from Iran uh, designing places for people from very different cultural background and diversity. And I was questioning myself, questioning myself all the time, where is culture here? And how people from different cultural background can understand this process? And uh, I thought it's very interesting to study. So that was the subject of, of my PhD, uh, to, to understand place and the enrichment of place from different cultural background. Uh, so I studied you know, a variety of cultures to see whether we are different in terms of culture. So assumingly we should be different, but I found that you know, uh, uh, there is lots of similarities across cultures. And again, going back to the idea of children and children play, I think children are great catalysts to open up a new opportunity for people from different cultural background to, to understand each other and to see each other as, you know, as, as a very friendly environment rather than, you know, separated. Yeah. Okay, so I'm Andre Reid. Um, I'm from Birmingham. Um, I guess the best way to describe myself would be that I'm a designer, um, I'm a thinker, I'm a, and I'm a doer, and I'm also a parent. Um, and what that kind of equates to is a person that uh, when they experience something in, in their lives, they try to do something about it, try to do something on a, on a level where many people will benefit and it will be for the benefit of not just myself, but my family as well. Um, I run a, um, a design company um, called Kiondo. Um, and we take a community-led approach to the way we design. So we do everything from products um, to interior design. And we're also looking at architecture of maker spaces and productive spaces in society. Um, I think what brought me here, I guess, is my work or my, my thoughts around being a parent and being a designer within the city of Birmingham and also and just the experiences of trying to navigate the city, being a young parent, being a person that thinks about how institutions and the urban environment is designed, and feeling the challenges of my son growing up in this space, um, feeling the challenges that puts on my relationship and on my family's relationship, um, to our friends, our family, um, our further connected family, and to the people that we work with. Um, so what that led to really is me, I guess we started off by connecting with Radical Childcare at Impact Hub. And we got connected to the creche there, which is all really about, Radical Childcare is, a, is I guess a mission focused approach to looking at radical way, ways to um, reinvigorate the childcare infrastructure within cities. It's very much inspired by Playwork, I'd say. Um, it has, I think, 12 mission streams that you can find on the Impact Hub website. And I've done quite a bit of research and investigations and a lot of play, basically, just to work out how to do this. So um, in the early stages of working out my company, I actually did quite a bit of, I guess, activities with Radical Childcare. Um, I did um, sessions with groups of individuals and families around reverse engineering. So just really about learning about the products that we have around our house and trying to work out what this technology is. Why don't we understand it? Can we reinterpret it and start to design the things that we want rather than consuming? Um, we did some work with um, up in Bearwood in Birmingham, actually, um, at Build, Make and Mend, which was about bringing families together and getting kids to actually repair their toys and swap them 
looking at circular economy and giving them this kind of vibe that actually it's not really about I need a new toy or I need a new thing and repair isn't too scary. You don't have to be 10 years old before you pick up a screwdriver. You just need to be able to facilitate them and watch them learn and discover, discover the process through educated eyes, I guess. Um, and then we were approached also by um, Amy from Radical Childcare to investigate um, a family maker space. Um, partly because in 2014, um, when I finished my architecture degree, I went out and I started a co-work, I started a production space, a maker space. Um, we ran it for two years and our, our whole ethos was about connecting and building um, a space where you could access facilities outside of the main institutions of either university or outside of the, the institutions of work where an, a, a um, company would basically um, provide you the opportunity to experiment with facilities and tools and skills that otherwise if you weren't in a company or you weren't in full-time education you wouldn't have the opportunity to um, and Amy was really interested on how this can this approach could be linked to families and children and play and how um, children could have a, a safe space to develop their dreams develop their version of society unwatched almost un, um, unchecked by parents or adults who seem to hinder their performance in, in these childcare environments. Um, and we moved into looking at intergenerational makerspaces, how the relationship between the really young and the really old in society, um, crossing between different classes as well, can actually benefit a greater range of people. Um, so we're investigating that, I guess, as Kiondo, and we're also investigating how designers in general have a better relationship with their city. Um, not just designing products to consume, but actually designing products that think about well-being, think about the actual future spaces we want to live in. And I guess that's me. Anyone else? Okay. Hi, I'm Emma Behrman, and um, I suppose like a lot of people that are around the table, started thinking about children and play when I had children myself. So mine are now eight and 10. So I think there's a kind of a point in your life where you kind of start to observe um, how they see the world, but you're also gripped by a sense of urgency, <laughs> which is, I can't wait for someone else to do what I think I'm observing with my children and what they're telling me. Um, so really it sort of set in motion something called Playful, Playful Leads initially, which was a, opportunity to explore what play meant from all ages, like um, Andre's talked about being intergenerational. Um, how do we give ourselves permission as parents, as citizens, as whatever professions we are, how do we bring our whole self to living where we live, I guess? And I felt <coughs> my children's um, experience as they were kind of growing gave me a whole new perspective on what it was like to navigate transport, um, parks, our neighborhood and realizing just how little consideration went into making life more joyful actually. And I suppose the thing that my children taught me from a really early age was there was no limit to their imagination. And that's what really excited me was that um, there's a thing called the public realm, but there's a thing called the imaginative realm. And that's where it just all happens to me. It's like, if we can imagine it together, we can make it. So if we can tap into that, not just with my children, but any child that you come into contact with or any parent, and actually the parent 
area of all of this is where you struggle it's harder because I think we've stopped allowing ourselves to dream and we've stopped allowing ourselves to think that anything is possible so in this current kind of context of austerity and cuts and political things that we feel out of control of I think if we can go back to go and if we can imagine things there is a hopeful future to be made so that's a very big kind of um you know what do I actually do about that <laughs> so the, what I can actually do about that is giving my children the sense that they can make choices and if they can make choices so can their friends at school and writ large I think we've talked about this how do how do we escalate that beyond our own domestic setting so um, practically that sort of plays out in things like we've ended up acquiring shipping containers we've got two now and we go to places and effectively create conversation around place which is um, what's in the box what's in the shipping container and people expect a service to be delivered unto them but the trick really is to get people talking about what they want and how they're going to change their reality if it's not what they currently want and so very much that whole um, sitting back and watching things unfold approach suits me because I don't actually want to be delivering a service and making a dependency <coughs> with people it's kind of I don't know yet and part of my joy is actually seeing what happens when we effectively land what is a TARDIS it's a 20-foot shipping container full of stuff that we acquire as we it's a gathering you know a, mo a, a thing that gathers and collects stuff whether we want it or not um, and the beauty of it really is we don't need to do anything prescriptive there's enough stuff in the world we don't have to keep buying stuff you know we can actually recycle stuff upcycle stuff make new stuff mend stuff and you know I suppose from doing this for the last three to four years it's inspired other people to go and get their shipping containers so it's called Playbox by the way and we've got commissions off the back of it we're invited into other communities and we're very careful to not tell people how to live their lives but to actively seek invite into where people live and meet them where they're at and learn about them and them about each other so um, I suppose that sounds very highfalutin visionary kind of like what the world should be like kind of stuff but I really do think if we start um, with that conversation about what do you want how are we going to help you make it what are your gifts and skills so a very asset-based approach which is we've all got gifts talents creativity unbounded really but we tell ourselves we don't so how do we release that within ourselves and role model a little bit so in terms of my city there's nowhere that I won't sort of stick my nose into because as soon as I see a place which I think some might kind of go that's a zombie space or a, a gap between a building I see it as a place full of potential really and I'm like why aren't we doing more with this place so I think if there was one thing that I feel frustrated about is how do we escalate that sense of purpose and agency in more people rather than waiting for permission to come down to us from somewhere. So without actually breaking the law or even looking at why those laws exist, how, how do we kind of make more good stuff happen for ourselves and others? There you go. Thank you. <laughs> before um i think what emma's talking about is a really powerful part of the puzzle um i think it's about activating the creativity within individuals and connecting them to each other um and this kind of movement this kind of way of of behaving i think um we had a personal experience for, with playbox actually connecting over twitter just over create um in Birmingham, us coming up with an event 
to um, inspire the individuals there, which was at Box Wars, um, Box Wars um, which basically was an event to, I guess, easiest way to say it is, we wanted to inspire a lot of kids and adults to actually make stuff. And the easiest way to do that was to get a lot of cardboard and turn it into a big battlefield. And it was inspired by um, something that we saw on the internet over in, in um, America. And we asked them if we could do something in Birmingham. And they said, hey, yeah, we could. Um, and we told um, Emma about it and she was like, we have a load of um, Minecraft um, <laughs> weapon. She had a, in her play box, she had a Minecraft armory. And we decided this was the best chance and best, um, best point of time to connect with Emma and actually find out what is she doing with this giant armory of um, Minecraft stuff. So we drove all the way up to Leeds and we, we met Emma for the first time and it was the, this was the point in which we formed this kind of connection. And it's that, those connections that are really important, I think. But, what, but bringing those, um, those objects back to Birmingham and actually hosting the event and getting all of this cardboard together um, with kids and families, it was the inspirational point in which there was no barriers for learning. There were, people were inventing things. They were inventing their own vehicles. They were inventing armor. They were inventing shields. And it can take something very as, as simple as play to kind of break the boundaries between like what society expects of us um, and it doesn't actually cost anything either if we start to think about the connections that we have, so recycling and going to one another to actually create these things together rather than thinking, oh, as a business, I need to purchase this and do this before I can actually accomplish this. So I think there is something in, in connection and activation of an inspiration that we can all do a bit more. And Bradford, sorry, Bradford, um doesn't seem from my perspective sitting in Leeds to have quite as uh, visible mm. I guess push on child-friendly city or looking at place through that lens do you have any sort of view on that from your perspective as being in Bradford and operating there um, from a city centre point of view I think Bradford's quite lucky with the city park um, that that's an amazing asset that is uh, very accessible to everybody um, I think from a publicity point of view, I'd say that uh, Child Friendly Leeds is a, is a much more kind of in-your-face and prominent organisation than I'm aware of in, in Bradford, but there are a number of, kind of grassroots organisations that are doing some amazing things in the city too, um, and the kind of outskirts, so places like the Big Swing, um, uh, which, is, which is a fantastic kind of resource for, for the local area that we sometimes travel to. My son managed to break his arm there, so he was uh, um, properly adventuring there, so that's good. Um, but I think the Child Friendly Leads as a, as a public forum that is sort of speaking outwardly about making cities child-friendly is very positive, and I'd like to see more of that in Bradford. OK. Hi, I, I'm Elaine from Reshape Landscape Architecture. Um, I suppose my perspective can started when I set up my practice six years ago, and I had to decide um, who I was as as a landscape architecture, l landscape architect, and um, what I wanted to um, kind of specialise in terms of my business, and what I, and what suited me as a person and as a Liverpool resident, and I, I can spend a lot of time in the back back of 
um, rooms in kind of with community groups and I didn't say anything I just sat there and listened to what they wanted to do in their local environment and I was completely bowled over um, by how well they knew what they actually wanted to do and how much time and effort that they were prepared to um, put, put into changing their local environment. And I was struck by the fact that, um, that they spent a lot of time and, mo and their own money trying to change the land on their street corner. But actually, quite a lot of the time, they, they reinvented the wheel from what somebody around the corner was, at, was actually doing already quite successfully. And then I started walking in, in kind of between um, my office in Liverpool City Centre and the Baltic Triangle. And um, I noticed all this land that would never be developed. It's probably two metres wide or four metres wide by, you know, maybe 400 metres long and quite large areas which when you, when you look at it very would really solve the kind of the lack of local space green space in the area if, if they were um, improved a little bit so I thought okay then there's all these people that want want to do something and there's all this land very near to the city centre which, which desperately needs something to do and it's got loads of potential to to do something with so I thought, okay, then how how do I kind of join A A to B and actually help people to help themselves and to do what they want to do? So I thought the best thing to do was a bit like this meeting today and actually start. So I went round all the local businesses and I said, can I have your pallets, please? Can you take these pa any pallets that you've got um, to to this green space? Um, and then I started talking to all my designer friends because there's a very small community within Liverpool and you tend to know everybody. I said, well, who can give me any of their time? Um, you know, one hour, two hours, four days, anything. I'll take, take anything. We, we just need to start something. Um, so we can we put together a four-day project and start building on, on green space. And we, we decided to make something usable just as a first project so that this green space, we, we could have um, kind of tables and chairs. And at the end of four days, we were going to have a community picnic that we could invite everybody that we talked to about the project um, to, to join us in, even if they didn't want to take part. So the first day, he, um, he kind of, we, set, we set up shop and invited a couple of the local community groups to come with us, and a, a couple of them did. And, we, and, but, and there was a lot of people just look, walking around the site that we were on, and they were just looking at us. On the second day, we started getting local donations from construction sites. They started bringing their scaffolding, maybe a, a sink that they were throwing out. Um, and we had a few people stop us and ask us what we, what we were doing and did we have permission to do it. Um, and the third day, we actually had people hopping over the little gypsy rail to come and join us. They'd seen us in the last couple of days, and they decided they quite liked to um, come, come and help change their own neighbourhood with us. And we also st started having cups of tea being brought to us, um, and um, in, in one case, a whole kind of Indian, Indian meal for all of us to sit down and... and and the children obviously joined us right way through the project a lot earlier than the um, <laughs> the, the adults did, but and caused a little bit of a problem because my insurance didn't cover anybody under 16 because we didn't have any funding and it was all self-funded and I couldn't really afford to do it. So we came up with a different kind of 
activity for them. We, we wanted them to make a My City signpost. We wanted them to show all the tourists who were, who were in the area where they would like to show them. And we were going to have a big exhibition at, as, along with our community picnic at the end of the fourth day. So again, we, we got to the fourth day and we had um, 26 people building on site with kind of saws and the building site, we ran out of saws and everything, the building site gave us them. Um, and actually they bought us nails, they bought us um, Tehran matting for the, the, the planters. Um, we got a donation of soil and plants. And we had probably about 50 people turn up to our community picnic, which again, the builders in the adjacent development bought us burgers and sausages and everything. And then the, ch the children's parents, after school, the children's parents came along from the, the adjacent housing site and to see their children's work. and. For me, well, I didn't explain before, it, it was quite incredible because I've been involved with construction and design in outdoor spaces for 17 years. And a couple of things that I really, really took away from it. The first thing was that I was told that it wasn't going to work. Um, nobody would um, join in or even talk to me because the community in that area were too isolated and diverse in terms of the traditional communities, the new creatives, um, old businesses, kind of new, um, new retail businesses, and they never talked to each other and they would never join in. Uh, and it would be burnt the first night because we were using pallet timber wood. Um, and really, every single one of those points was not true. So I never, I, well, one of the things I learned was that I never listened to anybody. Um, I, I, just, I just want to do. The other thing I learned is that people really, really want to. Sometimes it's a matter of they just don't know how to start. They all want to improve their own living environment. Um, the third thing I, I learned is that within my professional life, I, I draw too quickly. People are local experts, they know what they want to do, they know their local environment, and they all have really particular skills which I and time that I don't have. And so what I really need to do is to capitalise on all of those things, whether it's a commercial scheme, whether it's a communal scheme, and I need to help them change their street corner. And if I join up everybody that wants to change all their street corners then actually that's a whole area of Liverpool which I can then change and they, they can start helping each other and I can slowly back out and, and leave them to do what they're very very able to do and want to do themselves and it, we're now four or five years on and we, we, we're on the verge of we've got 30 sites about kind of 10 10 to 12 of them are, are active. Um, there's now a much nicer walking route between Bowl Street, which is the um, main independence um, walking into shopping area, and the Baltic um, Triangle, which is the new created district. Um, we've actually it formed the basis of the council's funding when they went to Europe to get 3.5 million pounds of urban green up money so there's now um, over a million pounds for green infrastructure in that area on the basis that we'd already done all the consultation for them and it made it very easy to do the funding application and um, I'm told that that funding is going to be guaranteed by the government um, after Brexit so whilst I think what I've stepped back a little bit because there's a lot of money going to the area. I want to see, and I, I want to continue at the ground grassroots level and not take advantage of that money at the moment, see what happens with that funding and then continue really f from there. But 
not really doing anything myself, just to enable the, the, um, the conversations to happen and to make it really quick and easy for people to do what they want to do themselves. Yeah, hi, um, I'm Adrian, Adrian Vos. Um, I was a play worker in the 80s, working on adventure playgrounds um, in London and mainly in London, other places too. Um, and then I got into advocacy and development work in the children's play arena. Um, in the 2000s, I set up a, an organization called Play England and we campaigned for a national play strategy with the idea that we would try and persuade the government to take children's play more seriously as a policy area. And uh, in 2008, the national government committed to a 10-year play strategy underpinned by about 400 million pounds of public money, including some lottery money. Um, and that was abandoned after only two years. It was a 10-year plan to make England the best place in the world to grow up. And it was abandoned after only two years um, because of austerity, the change of government. Um, these days, um, well, I wrote a book about that, which is called Policy for Play. And these days I'm doing quite a lot of writing um, and advocacy in different ways. But I also run an international network called the European Network for Child-Friendly Cities. And what we do is we bring people together from the different professional and academic sectors that uh, work within the built environment. Uh, we bring them together with advocates and researchers in children's rights to try and cross-pollinate ideas about urban design and ideas about the space that both best engenders children's rights. And that's, that's the child-friendly city uh, work that I do. And uh, we do that through conferences and events and platforms, media and communications platforms. Uh, that's probably enough for now. I'm Rebecca. I work for Leeds City Council. I'm a project manager. And my team, me and my team, we work on short to medium term public realm interventions, which include child friendly events. So we do the delivery to the theory and the designs that maybe some of you um, come up with and, and put forward and we would do the delivery of those. We're moving from a um, temporary pop-up type of uh, child-friendly intervention to a more permanent structure. So in the new year, we'll be looking, uh, we'll be working with different teams in the council and external partners to look at what we can do on a, on a more permanent basis. And our challenge, having, you know, we are a council, is budget. And um, looking at effective interventions that are low cost and sort of are easy to maintain that's our main challenge. Hi, I'm Gail, Gail Appleyard. Um, I'm an architect and run a practice going studio in Halifax. Um, and my interest really in the subject stems from um, a lived experience really of, of first having children um, at the time working um, and living in London. Um, and and actually how that changed my own thinking about how we design for, for children, for families in cities. Um, but actually to one of, when moving back north, back uh, to a northern town, the, 
the lack of civic spaces that were available for children. Um, and whilst on maternity leave, actually some grassroots activism using my skills and, and purchasing and, and establishing a local pocket park. Um, some years ago now, 15 years ago, I now have grown up children and different experiences about how young people access space to be. So not just small children, but actually how teenagers have spaces within our towns and cities where they don't have to spend money, uh, where they can be uh, with their friends. Um, but also, one of the things that, that in practice I'm finding challenging is how we can design spaces, buildings, where actually the bottom line from either a developer or um, local authority is, is bringing some added value, so replacing the, the policy shift from car parking spaces to actually green spaces around buildings that we might be working with. They're, they're the experiences. We've got to have evidence, I think, to show that, that it matters and, and it means a lot. Um, I think there's some good areas, there's some good think tanks like Centre for Towns um, the, and the LSE that talks about um, the denigration of northern towns in particular, so I'm not talking about just cities, but particularly our industrial towns where there's a significant lack of uh, investment and a significant lack of spaces, particularly for young people. Um, and yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, my name is Emily Jones. Really nice to meet everybody and say hello. Um, I'm, I currently have a few different kind of roles that I'm engaged um, with. I'm um, a master's student in London. Hi there, my name is David Craig. Uh, I'm a product designer living in Bradford. I'm also a father and a husband. Um, I also run a co-working space in Bradford that is about two and a half years old. Uh, we started it as a sort of meanwhile space that was a very kind of prototype based project that uh, was mega low budget. It was my overdraft basically. Um, we've grown that to uh, a secure tenancy in a listed building in North Parade now. Um, what challenges make a city more livable? Um, I think we're finding more and more of our members in a co-working space are working flexibly or self-employed and are working around families. Um, I think um, potentially a, a kind of 40 hour working week is something that's um, becoming less and less uh, important. Um, if you can make your kind of living around kind of your interests and through um, around the time where your children are perhaps not around you uh, is something quite interesting to look at. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think I've run out of things to say. I, did, I had a question for you, David, mm. which was um, Leeds obviously has got um, a strong kind of push in the city about child-friendly city. And Bradford, sorry, Bradford um, doesn't seem, from my perspective, sitting in Leeds, to have quite as uh, visible, hmm. I guess, push on child-friendly city or looking at place through that lens. Do you have any sort of view on that from your perspective as being in Bradford and operating there? Hmm. Um, from a city centre point of view, I think Bradford's quite lucky with the city park. Um, that that's an amazing asset that is. Uh, very accessible to everybody. Um, I think from a publicity point of view I'd say that uh, Child Friendly Leeds is a, is a much more kind of in-your-face and prominent organisation than I'm aware of in, in Bradford but there are a number of 
kind of grassroots organisations that are doing some amazing things in the city too, um, and the kind of outskirts, so places like the Big Swing, um, oh, yeah. uh, which is which is a fantastic kind of resource for for the local area that we sometimes travel to. My son managed to break his arm there, so he was uh, um, properly adventuring there. So that's good. Um, but I think the Child Friendly Leads as a as a public forum that is sort of speaking outwardly about making cities child friendly is very positive and I'd like to see more of that in Bradford. Hi, I'm Elaine from Shade Landscape Architecture. Um, I suppose my perspective started when I set up my practice six years ago and I had to decide um, who I was as, as a landscape architecture, landscape architect and um, what I wanted to um, specialised in terms of my business and what, and what suited me as a person and as a Liverpool resident. And I, I can spend a lot of time in the back, back of um, rooms in, kind of, with community groups and I didn't say anything, I just sat there and listened to what they wanted to do in their local environment and I was completely bowled over um, by how well they knew what they actually wanted to do and how much time and effort that they were prepared to um, put, put into changing their local environment. And I was struck by the fact that, um, that they spent a lot of time and, mo and their own money trying to change the land on their street corner. But actually, quite a lot of the time, they, they reinvented the wheel from what somebody around the corner was, at, was actually doing already quite successfully. And then I started walking in, in kind of between um, my office in Liverpool City Centre and the Borset Triangle. And um, I noticed all this land that would never be developed is probably two metres wide or four metres wide by, you know, maybe 400 metres long and quite large areas which when you, when you look at it very would really solve the kind of the lack of local space green space in the area if, if they were um, improved a little bit so I thought okay then there's all these people that want to want to do something and there's all this land very near to the city centre which which desperately needs something to do and got loads of potential to, to do something with. So I thought, okay, then how, how do I join A, A to B and actually help people to help themselves and to do what they want to do? So I thought the best thing to do was a bit like this meeting today and actually start. So I went round all the local businesses and I said, can I have your pallets, please? Can you take these pa any pallets that you've got um, to, to this green space? Um, and then I started talking to all my designer friends because there's a very small community within Liverpool and you tend to know everybody. I said, well, who can give me any of their time? Um, you know, one hour, two hours, four days, anything. I'll take, take anything. We, we just need to start something. Um, so we, we can put together a four-day project and started building on, on green space. And we, we decided to make something usable just as a first project so that this green space, we, we could have um, kind of tables and chairs. And at the end of the four days, we were gonna have a community picnic that we could invite everybody that we talked to about the project um, to, to join us in, even if they didn't want to take part. So the first day, he, um, he kind of, we, set up, we set up shop and invited a couple of local community groups to come with us. And a, cu a couple of them did. And we, 
And, but, and there was a lot of people just look, walking around the site that we were on, and they were just looking at us. On the second day, we started getting local donations from construction sites. They started bringing their scaffolding, maybe a, a sink that they were throwing out. Um, and we had a few people stop us and ask us what we, what we were doing and did we have permission to do it. Um, and the third day, we actually had people hopping over the little gypsy rail to come and join us. They'd seen us in the last couple of days, and they decided they quite liked to um, come, come and help change their own neighbourhood with us. And we also started having cups of tea being brought to us, um, and um, in, in one case, a whole kind of Indian, Indian meal for all of us to sit down and together. And the children, obviously, joined us right way through the project, a lot earlier than the, um, <coughs> the, the adults did. But, and it caused a little bit of a problem because my insurance didn't cover <laughs> anybody under 16 because we didn't have any funding and it was all self-funded and I couldn't really afford to do it. So we came up with a different kind of activity for them. We, we wanted them to make a My City signpost. We wanted them to show all the tourists who were, who were in the area where they would like to show them. And we were going to have a big exhibition at the, along with our community picnic at the end of the fourth day. So again, we, we got to the fourth day and we had um, 26 people building on site with kind of saws and the building site, we ran out of saws and everything, the building site gave us them <laughs> um, and actually bought us nails, they bought us um, Tehran matting for the, the, the planters, um, we got a donation of soil and plants and we had probably about 50 people turn up to our community picnic, which again, the builders in the adjacent development bought us burgers and sausages and everything. And then the, ch the children's parents, after school, the children's parents came along from the adjacent housing site and to see their children's work. And for me, well, I didn't explain before, it, it was quite incredible because I've been involved with construction and design in outdoor spaces for 17 years. And a couple of things that I really, really took away from it. The first thing was that I was told it wasn't going to work. Um, nobody would um, join in or even talk to me because the community in that area were too isolated and diverse in terms of the traditional communities, the new creatives. Um, old businesses, kind of new, um, new retail businesses, and they never talked to each other, and they would never join in. Uh, and it would be burnt the first night because we were using pallet timber wood. Um, and really, every single one of those points was not true. So I never. I, well, one of the things I learned was that I never listened to anybody. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I just want to do. The other thing I learned is that people really, really want to. Sometimes it's a matter of they just don't know how to start. They all want to improve their own living environment. Um, the third thing I, I learned is that within my professional life, I, I draw too quickly. People are local experts. They know what they want to do. They know their local environment. And they all have really particular skills which I and time that I don't have. And so what I really need to do is to capitalise on all of those things, whether it's a commercial scheme, whether it's a communal scheme, and I need to help them change their street corner. And if I join up everybody that wants to change all their street corners, then actually that's a whole area of Liverpool which I can then change. And they, they can start helping each other, and I can slowly back out and, and leave them to do what they're very, very able to do and want to do themselves. 
and we're now four or five years on and we, we, we're on the verge of, we've got 30 sites, about kind of 10, 10 to 12 of them are, are active. Um, there's now a much nicer walking route between Bowles Street, which is the um, main independence um, walking into a shopping area, and the Baltic um, Triangle, which is a new created district. Um, we've actually it formed the basis of the council's funding when they went to Europe to get £3.5 million of urban green up money. So there's now um, over a million pounds for green infrastructure in that area on the basis that we'd already done all the consultation for them and it made it very easy to do the funding application. And um, I'm told that that funding is going to be guaranteed by the government um, after Brexit. So whilst I think what I've stepped back a little bit because there's a lot of money going to the area, I want to see, and I, I want to continue at the ground grassroots level and not take advantage of that money at the moment, see what happens with that funding and then continue really from there, but uh, not really doing anything myself, just to enable the, the, um, the conversations to happen and to make it really quick and easy for people to do what they want to do themselves. Okay, so I'm Sadia. I work in the Child Friendly Leeds team in Leeds City Council. Um, did psychology and was really interested in developmental psychology and spaces and play structures. And one of the areas that I was leading on was the city centre competition. So when Child Friendly originated about seven years ago and Leeds wanted and needed to do something different, and what they did was they consulted with children and young people. So we've got that consultation report, which we consulted with around 7,000 children at the time and asked them what would make a child-friendly city. And that came into 12 wishes. And that's what we're still living by because they still go with today. So things that make Leeds a child-friendly thing. So, so one of the things that we've been working on for the last few years is not just schools, but a lot more to do with vulnerable children, giving all children the, making it like the best city to grow up in and one of the gaps that we knew was city centre and making that more child friendly so we worked with the chief officer and it went back to Rebecca's team which was looking at how to make Leeds a more child friendly city centre base and we did a competition last year and that went out to all children in Leeds they came up with ideas and that's created a bit of a bank of ideas that we've got now and that we share across the council when someone is thinking of events or ideas to work with and through Child Friendly we've got 800 ambassadors in the city made up of individuals like yourselves, um, people that want to make Leeds a child friendly city, third sector organisations, um, businesses, so quite top businesses like M&S or the shopping centres. Um, so whenever we have a kiosk, which this year was the city centre development, they'll come on board and work with us. So Emma's one of our ambassadors as well. And one of the one of the quick things I can just tell you about one of the things that we've made work is things like Leeds Play Network were an ambassador for us. They're a charity wanting to find a home, and we knew that there was no structures in Leeds in place for um, indoor play and we linked them up with one of the shopping retail places that we have and they've been there for about a year um, kind of free of charge summer low-cost uh, days that they've done in half term and a lot of work has gone into pop-up and temporary structures so one of the things that we're looking at as well um, is permanent structures how we go around the city as well not just the city centre but 
how we make them accessible for all. Um, another thing that I was leading, because there's quite a lot of things that you probably fall under the child-friendly umbrella. So we've done, I've led on Baby Week, which is a week that's come, the idea came from Brazil through a Winston Churchill Fellowship. And it's about celebrating things for babies, practices for babies and sharing best practice. So that's really, that, w that happened a few weeks ago and we launched the app 50 Things Before You're Five which is on the App Store which Bradford also have. And it's a fantastic app all about making sure children play early years and that early kind of playable experiences. So you mentioned outdoor experiences, doing low cost activities with your child under five. Um, and I think one of the main things we want to do more is making, like I mentioned, accessible. So we've got White Rose Shopping Centre in South Leeds and they worked with us to develop their outdoor play area. So things like that is just working with people and businesses to realise that if you make it accessible for babies and children, like they say, they, if you make something for children, then they make it for a family and the families come in and ultimately it's, it's a bonus for them and more productive for them to have that. So that's my background. <laughs> okay, um, hi, my name is Lisa or Israel's mom. Um, <laughs> I am currently studying masters in architecture in Birmingham and um, currently I'm really interested in um, ethics in a city and the sort of challenges that I'm facing are um, place making and belonging and I think I'm struggling with that as a person who's come from a different country and um, migrated to here. So that's always been a, a sort of challenge to find myself within the city. Um, and recently, uh, being a parent, um, I'm also trying to find where that fits in with um, Israel, for example, and how he grows up in a city like Birmingham and finds his own um, sense of belonging within the city. Um, so I've been working on um, a sort of an ethical city, um, just trying to imagine what that might look like. Um, so some of the things I was talking about in that is how um, economics really affect our cities and uh, the sense that we have to be in production and consumption mode. Um, and often the spaces uh, that are left over I feel are really underutilised. So the angle that I'm looking at are the voids between the built environment and how we can use that. Um, those spaces as spaces of intervention rather than just walking. Um, and I should mention that um, before I did my masters, I was also running a pop-up um, shop business um, for artists in the city. Um, and that's in terms of built environment. That's the sort of a, um, thing I'd like to see myself doing. Um, Non-permanent structures that we c we can build together. Um, within the city and use them for a specific purpose of sort of interventions and then uh, you know <laughs> uh, you know take it where we see fit uh, I do feel that buildings especially have a s um, oh, thank you <laughs> yeah I think the built environment the way that it is in, in um, urban environment is very um, What's the word that I'm looking for? It's very solid. Um, it, it feels that children especially don't have a space for that within the city. Um, there's a lot of things that happen in the city that do not include children. And it generally feels like not 
uh, a space where children are supposed to dwell. So I want to look at ways that we can introduce interventions for um, children to feel as if they belong in the city. So yeah, that's um, it. Yeah, a Adrian again. Um, I was really inspired listening to everyone. It's a fantastic group of people. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm really inspired to follow up and, you know, build links with a lot of the people here. So thanks for pulling it together. Um, I mean, what I'm hearing is that there's so there are so many brilliant ideas and um, initiatives and methodologies and, and good practice happening in, in this whole area of empowering people to create more livable environments for themselves, which I really endorse and am encouraged by I think from my perspective as as a, not so much a, a practitioner in the built environment but an advocate for really for creating the space in which those things can happen more and scale them up I'm interested in how do we scale up what are often isolated examples of brilliance and good practice um, and I think the challenge is is clearly the the, the policy environment I think the challenge is to, is to create a, a political discourse that um, is more realistic and more honest in terms of what people uh, need from their public space, from the built environment, from the public realm. And I don't just mean the physical public realm, I mean the social, cultural and economic public realm. And I think we have to wrestle the discourse from vested interests in privatizing land, in corporatizing everything, in commodifying everything. And that is a huge challenge. How do we take it on? I don't have the answer, but I think the energy in this room is, is, um, is part of the solution, very much so. I think we have to develop ever persuasive arguments that we pitch into the policy discourse for, like, for example, why, why was, um, you know, why was a whole suite of, of national planning policy guidance documents torn up and replaced with one 25-page document that basically just said develop, you know, as though economic growth was the only thing that was important to an entire population of, a, of a, an economy the size of ours. Uh, that's the challenge, is how, is how that thing wouldn't happen how you would, you would honour what good practice there is and, and create a policy environment to support it. So I, I'm for scaling things up and taking on the policy world and, and, and just continuing to fight for policy that engenders the sorts of things we're hearing about in this room rather than relies on individuals to, to seize the initiative in spite of the policy environment. I'd like to uh, reiterate what Adrian said, I think there's lots of really excellent examples being described today about grassroots initiatives um, and I think it would be fantastic to scale that up and that level of localism but actually also there's got to be a policy shift significantly, a policy shift that is moving away from the car as a driver for development. Um, you know we worked on a, a number of projects that actually were, we've tried to submit through um, planning and local authorities 
uh, and actually still the power of the car is there uh, where we might have to get two car parking spaces for each dwelling etc and actually there's got to be a shift away from the car towards um, more inclusive green space ultimately. Um, we have planning guidance at the moment that, that links and connects biodiversity pathways uh, yet we don't have planning policy that is about greening pathways and connectivity for, for children and people on foot, on bicycle um, uh, or on public transport at the moment and I'd like to see that shift but that's top down not bottom up. Hi this is uh, Emily again um, and I would uh, fully support that um, uh, desire to uh, change things from the top down um, so that so that you aren't dependent entirely on people almost exhausting themselves through their own kind of desire to get things shifting, but that there's a shift in our culture and an expectation that children are included and they are our starting point for all kinds of development. Um, just to add to what Gail and um, Adrian have said, I would like to see a shift in the way um, educators are themselves educated about the importance and the absolute necessity of a huge amount of play and playfulness in both the spaces that we make for children to learn and live in, but also in the way that we educate our children um, to include masses and every opportunity, um, creativity and art, and that collaboration with nature as kind of a learning arena because of the emotional well-being and the emotional intelligence that it gives our children to then be able to design and fit the world for themselves because it is their world after all so i would like to see a, um, a big shift in how we train our educators so within initial teacher, teacher training programs so that it's not a surprise to new teachers that all of a sudden children do have to um, learn outside because it is a right shock to them sometimes. They only think that learning can take place sat at a chair um, behind a desk inside four walls and it's um, limiting to so many children who have masses of different learning styles and that need to get busy and get on with it. So that is a shift I would like to see happen as well as the others that have already been talked about. Hi, it's Elaine. Um, the, the change that I would like to see, really, is um, you know, to try and introduce the idea of talking to the community which the development's in um, much, much earlier in the process. At the moment, with the very commercial projects, um, you'll only ha have the requirement to consult the public uh, about six weeks before the first planning application go goes in. And this is far too late because the designers already have been designing for one or two years before, before that point and no matter what anybody said if you've been designing on designing and spending fees um, for, for one or two years there's only going to be a little bit of scope for a bit of nudging um, of the design um, you're not going to be able to change the the basis of the, of the whole design make something more walkable or make in, or actually join up green infrastructure or do anything sensible which you've actually learnt from um, the local experts that come to the uh, pu public consultation. So I think I want to go back to the earlier point that I made about the fact that designers des um, draw too early and that I think that there needs to be within the planning policy a requirement before in, in the very f first month of a project to come up with an engagement strategy which you then link right the way across the line 
lifetime of the project so that you before you say do you fancy a school in this location or you know you don't even have that conversation you just want to start listening to people first and then actually once you've listened then you actually you can then look at all the factors the budgets um you know the, the local authorities policies and then um start with whether you need a school whether it's wanted um before you even start thinking about the form or whether it's a forest school whether it's um uh, uh you know a, 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 a play a tarmac playground that they want that that's that's just thinking about the detail far too early and i think we need to go, to put everything back to um respecting local people as local experts um, so, kind of going off what everyone seems to be finding elements in, just talking about like more of a small impact makes big impact. So, talking about like how we navigate the spaces when children children are around, you could do it simply as like a narrative what which I've picked up. Um, when a child's crossing the road, do, would you much rather would you rather just cross the road when you're ready, or would you stand there and wait for them to cross when it's safe? That type of thing. Like they'll kind of go by what you do because you're bigger than them or you're, you're, you're influential, things like that. Um, and it's just a small impact of case of like how you show them what to do on a daily basis. They're just navigating the world, navigating the, the environment. So it's like something that we always think about when we have children, like, okay, I've got to act this way because of my child. Well, what about the child that's next to you, that's next to you in the street? Like how they're looking at you for an example of to, you know, what to do and how. Um, and something that I'm really interested in is like, what do they pick up on? Like, I've always realised that when people, when children cross the road, they always, not always, but sometimes play with a little button beneath the, um, you know, the traffic thing. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. <laughs> the traffic thing. Because it's a toy. It's yeah. the, they're learning about it. You should explain to me what it is and why we've got that in the city. Because I didn't know up until about, like, very young age, but I didn't always know why they were there. And for instance, like, um, like blind disabled things I shouldn't, shouldn't say that but um you like you know they've got the pavement slabs things like that like a lot of children don't know what they're there for but yeah it's a climbing frame so they're investigating them already but we some adults aren't explaining why they're there and that'll kind of bring about more exploration and more questions and you know get them to feel good about themselves because they're learning more and more and more about the world that they, they live in so it's all about us and the power of us right now, rather than thinking, okay, we've got a project, we've got to do a proposal for this person, we need funding for that, we can do it when we go home to this evening or tomorrow when we're on the way on our commute or on the train or, you know, in our cars, things like that. That's what I really, really strongly, strongly believe in. Don't know what you think about that. But. <laughs> I think one of the things is it's getting the message and changing the culture. So a lot of what we've done over the years, I never knew that other people are looking at Leeds in a different, I've lived in Leeds all my life, so when I went into the council, I was like, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like the way you do this, because I'm resident. And it's just one of them things that, as, as many of you have said, that as parents, you start to realise. So I had nieces and nephews that lived around me, and just growing up in a city that you think, well, actually, they could have done this. We never used to come to the city centre to play. Just little things like that. And I think that goes back to how we work now, which is children, like you said, have the best imagination. It's going back to not just thinking about how they would think, it's actually asking them. And what we're trying to do now is, well, personally, I, there's certain things obviously that I don't agree with or some things that are working well or don't work well, but everything that we've been doing, we consult with them. So even 
things like getting a no from highways on something or a new proposal like we want to get rid of these roads next to the train station you might get a no initially but I don't want to take a no for an answer so it's working around it and it's working with the organizations from grassroots because I work with two charities as a trustee but I also work with so many more through ambassadors like Emma um, but just like third sector social enterprises young people from university students have been working with us to look at what what works and what doesn't and I think it's that knowledge that's already out there or we need to get out there from children families uh, students that are learning and uh, that will help us get better at what we're doing because it it's like what you mentioned earlier but the whole don't just think like a specific you know that you need to write a plot policy or a plan or a proposal but it's actually what will work and I think don't be afraid to go to leadership because sometimes I've had no's in the middle or, or one of the forms haven't gone but we've just gone above and just said well actually this is going to benefit your business this is going to benefit this area around you and that's why we're going we want to go ahead with it and usually that's helped us get certain things done and like trial it out so we've trialed a few things out in the city center which worked last year as you know and you were part of them so now it's looking at well actually there's loads of empty units and places that need a bit of playable structure because it's not thinking i think a lot of the time people think too much into detail about it's going to cost me £50,000 to build a, a playground with a swing and a slide. Well, it's, that's not what all children want. They want things that are playable, structures, anything. I've seen kids, you know, there'll be three hours spent on a little bench that's got something coming out of it, or, you know, that kind of thing. So it's looking at what are easy, easily accessible and benefits all. And I think one of the things that I... I think the government pressure, so we as long as we're doing it locally, which it works well and we can convince people, I think nationally some sort of message, if that came down, that would invite people to get more involved in this. And I think that's what stops certain things going ahead is because of the national pressures or cuts or whatever. There's no kind of key push because they push on results and getting your G nine GCSEs or whatever, but it's not that push to move forward. So. Can I add really one really quick point to what you've said um, about outcomes and people measuring things is um, that we never measure how happy people are and we need to make spaces that make people happy and sometimes we measure things that don't need measuring and sometimes we read numbers that we shouldn't give a toss about and we should look at how happy people are because happy people make beautiful things. So, you know, that's what I think. <laughs> Beautiful things. <laughs> Copyright. Yes. Yeah. Um, for me, um, I'd like to challenge what the role of an adult is, um, because in these built environments, we dominate ourselves socially, politically, and economically, and that ends up uh, marginalising children because we're not thinking at uh, them at these levels. Um, so often, you know, you find that governance starts in the household, uh, where as parents we have that role, we've given ourselves that responsibility of decision making and we don't give our children that um, sort of framework where they can make their own decisions and have their own say. So I think I'd like to challenge that um, as adults. Um, are we aiming to be enablers or are we disabling um, children in, in, in these spaces? So um, 
So yeah, that's what I wanted to say. That's following up from what Christina was saying and just observing my son, uh, you know, what, what generally interests him on a daily basis is the journey more than the destination. So even going to nursery, he's interested in, in what's in the journey rather than getting to the final building. Um, and there's so much to be learned. What you say. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Take care. There's so much to learn in the journeys rather than getting to a destination. So I don't think, think there's one sort of, you know, policy or blueprint that will make uh, uh, this concept of a safe city for children. I think there's, um, you know, th there's a number of things that we can start doing at household levels all the way to, you know, um, local authorities and all the way to... Um, the government so it, it starts from home I think it starts from when we interact with children on a daily basis yeah this podcast has been brought to you by the developer produced by Simon Mercer with music by Fortet I'm Christine Murray and you can reach me on Twitter at at TC Murray for more podcasts visit us at the developer.live <laughs>